0: Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist and coach.
1: And I'm your co-host Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And
0: ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah.
2: That's where the guys kind of made their move, you know. Like, all of a sudden, they started uh, speeding up to like three minutes per kilometer. It was crazy, you know. But at the same time, I knew, like, okay, they're, they're just trying to make like this kind of this, uh, this psychological hit on, on the other people, you know, like to, just to lose part of the group to break it down. And it was really, really effective because all of a sudden, we ended up with like a group of five. And I, and I managed to hang on. And obviously, it was really, really uncomfortable for me uh, because it tasted, I mean, it was crazy. But at the same time I knew like, they're not going to keep this up until the end of the race because it's impossible, it's physically impossible. Tete was constantly looking over his shoulder, you know? And that's also why I didn't know like when I came into the stadium, obviously you couldn't see him. And then all of a sudden you, like, you, you come around the corner and he's in your field of vision and that's when he started yeah. sprinting, you know? And then Tete yeah. looks back and he sees me and he starts sprinting as well, so he, so he wins. Uh, but I definitely felt that I was uh, fresher at that part of the race than he was.
1: Nicola! Davide! How was your weekend? Yo, It was pretty wild. Was it cold?
0: (laughs) It was pretty (laughs) cold. Davy and I hiked to the top of the berg. We went up Mweni Pass. Mweni. Mweni. We had had quite a cool experience. We went with a whole bunch of guys. No,
1: no. So there was just four of us? Five of us? Yeah, it was a bunch. (laughs) It was a bunch.
0: We took a car up. It was a jewel. Uh, We stayed in the, the Mweni Cultural Ground, which happens to be in the middle of the township. It was a rendezvous. (laughs) <laughs> which slept four people, and Nick was snoring the whole night. Oh, actually, no. Davey said in the morning that I'm actually quite good at my snoring. I yeah. almost soothed
1: myself out of it. Yeah, you were fine. I was just too excited. I was like a kid the night before Christmas, just getting ready to, to get up and, and start running because we knew that there was going to be snow on top of the mountains. And I can't tell you the last time I saw snow. Um, it's been on my list of things to do for a long time. And yeah, we woke up 5.30 in the morning to get going. The run took us seven and a half hours. Yeah, just over seven hours. Moving time was five and a half
0: hours. So I, I think that's pretty good. The guys that do the Winnie Mountain Marathon, they do it in about, the winning guys, they do it in about four hours, 15 minutes. So yeah, I think
1: that's pretty good going for a day. But it was, it was pretty incredible. <laughs> it was um, tough. The elevation gain. Over 38 kilometers was about 2,000 meters of elevation, which, which is quite something. We went straight up a pass, um, but guys, it was honestly unbelievable. We'll put some pictures up on mm. the on the socials of what we saw. It was a, like a winter wonderland. Mm. Um, I I was I was very cold on top though. I'm not gonna lie. I wanted to make a snowman. I wanted to do a snow angel. But by the time I got up there, I just wanted to go home. <laughs> no, Davey was in no mood. He's talking so much about being
0: excited about it. But when he was up there, he did not look excited. I even had to get my phone out. i take a video of him to lighten the mood. He's like, get that camera out of my face he just wasn't having it and And the reason is I don't want to tell everyone Davy was very cold now Davy was running with a peak the entire time and everyone around us was with a beanie and we told him "Davy, put your beanie on and he just wouldn't put his beanie on the reason was it was a Solomon beanie he didn't want to wear it but
1: yeah look to be fair that was also the first time that I was ever told that a beanie was actually an effective way to keep yourself warm it was something I didn't pack thinking it was an accessory item and um, when I was like, oh, to be his work, I just got laughed at. Apparently, head and toes. Head and hands. Head and hands. Because our toes are dead. <laughs> head and toes, head and toes, head and toes. We're wearing
0: our normal running shoes running through the snow. Luckily, it wasn't actually too cold when we were below the snow line. Um, otherwise, that would also have been quite dangerous. But look at us, all these, these roadies talking about mountain
1: trails, and you know, elevation it, yeah. gain. It, w- it was a tough run. Um, <laughs> But uh, I do think the risk was worth the reward. And uh, do you know who else l- uh, like uses that that motto? The r- the risk is worth the reward. Who who could possibly use that motto? Well, that that's got to be our guest today. Who's our guest, Nick? Our guest today is Pete Viersma, and and and, and, and Pete is twenty
0: five years old. Yes, but more importantly, people won't know. Maybe by his name, maybe they do so now. But he's known as the unknown Dutchman in South African in the South African running culture, especially after um, Comrades this year. He was the second place male runner at Comrades. Came out of absolutely nowhere, arrived with no sponsors. No one gave him a single breath of. At the start, in terms of uh, interviews or lining him up with the other pros, um, he was seen. He wasn't even seen as a dark horse.
1: He wasn't seen as an elite runner coming to this race, even well, though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he was a, he was a novice runner as well. Yeah, and he has now the fastest ever recorded novice time for comrades marathon. Yeah, but and in our conversation, we found out a lot about his his training journey.
0: Um, a lot of it actually resembles remarkably exactly what other novices go through, you know, <laughs> even though he's a hundred K specialist, he's come third at the Hundred K world champs. He's he's been on multiple world record attempts for, for the hundred K. Um But he followed a similar path and journey that most novices you know, uh, building up for their first comrades would do. He ran his first marathon, his first marathon race as a race itself in the build-up to uh, the comrades. In a time of two hours and 18 minutes. As a training run, as a (laughs) training run. Yeah, he's he's quite an exceptional young man, really. Uh, After this conversation, Davey and I were left just... Just in awe. In awe. It was one of those
1: conversations which kind of left me feeling a bit hopeless because (laughs) because i just you know the amount of talent that this guy has is just is just absolutely off the charts and you kind of sit there going what am i doing this for again but yeah but you you know you can see you can see the love that he has for running and you can see the passion and you can see the dedication and i'm just so excited to see where he goes from here you know 25 years old guys it is it is unheard of and what was really quite refreshing is how this guy
0: just himself. He was he was so confident, you know, from the moment he signed up to Comrades, the moment he joined the Ned Bank running team, he told Nick Bester, I want to win Comrades. Uh, you know, he backed himself. People didn't know him. Now they certainly do. And he's 100% guaranteed to come by, back next year. And his goal is to still win Comrades. So I think we're witnessing something really great uh, in the sport. And, you know, despite the fact that he is... 100k specialist he's done comrades he's done multiple ultra distance trail events Um, he's still so new to the sport and there's so much room for improvement and i think after today after this conversation you guys are also going to really know who this unknown dutchman is and you'll realize that he really is just a flying dutchman yep so guys sit back relax and enjoy he has peaked cheers guys If you love the work we are doing and the impact that Making a Runner has had on the running community so
1: far, then why not become an official Making a Runner fan? That's right guys, Making a Runner is now on Patreon. Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and cost of running a successful podcast. And that's why we've
0: decided to provide memberships where our fans can either make a pledge to support our work or receive exclusive behind-the-scenes content, discounts on racepass.com, as well as downloadable running programs to guide them along the running journeys.
1: If you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash makingarunner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show.
0: Pete, thank you so much for being with us uh, on the show today. We really appreciate it. The unknown
2: Dutchman. (laughs) Yeah. That's uh, that's what they called me. Yeah, so.
0: <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people weren't uh, weren't aware of uh, what was coming by them on Comrades race day, uh, right up until they saw at the finish line. Um, that how was that experience, man? That you that you enjoy your first Comrades?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it was like before you get to South Africa. Obviously, you've heard a lot about Comrades because it's known as the, I know like the biggest ultra marathon in the world, at least on the road and uh, like. Um, also one of the oldest, but you only really notice, like, how big it actually is, uh, when you get to South Africa and when you see, uh, you know, like, how, how big it is in the minds of the people. Like, I already noticed, you know, like, when I was arriving at the airport, when I was taking a cab to, to the hotel. But, like, I mean, on race day, obviously, it's like, like that, but, uh, <laughs> but it's so much, so much, so much bigger than, than you ever expect. And it's like, I don't know, it's a point to point race, 88 kilometers, but still, like, almost everywhere along the route there are people. And then you get to Durban and it's like, uh, I mean, the noise is from start to finish is like ear-splitting because, I don't know, people are shouting all the way and it's like, uh, and you're in the middle of it because you're, I don't know, running second, running third, you know, like, and, uh, and that was absolutely, um, yeah, an, an interesting experience to say the least.
1: So, so, Pete, I mean, that was your, that was your novice comrades run. Um, and at the, you, sure. broke, you broke a lot of records on on this run. You, you're the fastest novice um, to ever <laughs> by, run. By far. I mean, but, by far. Bro-
0: you broke the previous record of comrades on the down run as a novice. And I was telling this to Davey before, like, you know, you get all the old school guys that will tell you, you know, it takes a few years to get comrades right. And you just, you just come there and, and smash that race. But it must also feel quite short for you when you're a 100K specialist.
2: No, I wouldn't say so. Like I, I think it was uh, very similar uh, to 200k, and obviously I've done uh, different distances from 100k, and 100k is basically like my my biggest event as well. So uh, I mean, doing 88 kilometers is not very different. And then there, there is the thing that you know, like the the course for comrades is uh, in general it's tougher mm. than than a flat race. And I think that's also what made it so special. You know, like like our average pace of, of me and Tete was like. I don't know, three thirty five per kilometer which is uh <laughs> sub six hours for four hundred K, which is which is way under under the current uh, world record. And uh also like running that race and at this pace, like it made me think that so much more is, is possible with regards to the running K world record and uh that running sub six hours maybe next year is definitely possible. And uh yeah, like the fact that it was wasn't a novice race, it made things a bit more difficult, I suppose. At the same time like uh, Uh, People were telling me before, like, I don't know, it's also good, you know, because you you don't yet know how much it's going to hurt. And Mm. from from your second time, you do know that. So you get more nervous or whatever. Uh, But still, obviously, like, um, experience does help. But uh, before cameras, I just uh, tried talking to as many people as as I could about the course, you know, about, uh, you know, like uh, race strategy and such. Uh, Like a month before the race, I was uh, running for the world record over 100K yes. in Vilnius with Alexander Sorkin. And then after the race, I also got talking with uh, some uh, South African runners. Uh, and like I just asked them questions about comrades for two hours, I think, and uh, uh, just trying to learn as much as possible. Also, like with f- for my race preparation, because up until that point, I'd only been uh, focusing on the 100K flat. So basically, all my training was flat. And uh, then I only had like, I don't know, it was four weeks before comrades, But in essence, you have less time to prepare obviously because uh, like the first week after the 100K record attempt, like you're not really uh, doing that much specific training. Uh, The last race before Comrades, or the last week before Comrades is basically tapering. So I had like uh, two weeks in which I could do uh, specific training for Comrades. And I just did some of the craziest workout, hill workouts (laughs) that you've ever ever seen, you know? And like to to just prepare me physically as well as mentally and and also the fact that those workouts uh, went so well kind of um, ingrained in my mind that I that I could do very well, comrades, and uh, maybe even win it. So yeah, sure.
1: And uh, I mean, you're 25 years old, which is you know pretty pretty unbelievable because they, they also say that you know for long distance running, I mean, I mean, you get you know a bit what stronger with age. So I mean, 25. Is very young and from the sounds of it you left comrades even more inspired for that um, for your 100k specialty trying to go faster and faster there but I mean I mean what would be next for you you know where where do you go from here and and are you planning on coming back next year?
2: Yeah I'm uh, definitely uh, planning on coming back next year and obviously the goal uh, for next year is to kind of outdo uh, what I did this year so the idea is to come back uh, to try and win and to try and win a course record um, I mean, also because I don't know, like, like you said, it was my debut and I got really, really close to that. But, uh, like a little bit closer to, to now is like, uh, by the end of the year, I would like to run, uh, another marathon. Like, uh, this February, I ran my first marathon ever in, uh, in Susia. Uh, I ran 218, mm-hmm. but that was like kind of as, as part of my build up towards the world record attempt and towards comrades. Uh, so it was like after maybe two months of build up, I don't know. Uh, but I could go so much faster than that, um, 100% sure. Uh, so I'm kind of planning on uh, doing Valencia in December. Uh, I still need to try to get in uh, into the elite race because the registration is already filled. But I think I should be able to get in. And then after that, uh, like in March, um, the idea is kind of to go for sub-6 on the 100k. Uh, sure. To get the world record at least, and uh, and hopefully, yeah. But like I said, I saw six hours, which is definitely possible, and like comrades, definitely showed me that that, that I can do that. It's just, it just needs to be the right course, it needs to be the right mm. uh, right people. And uh, for me, like last uh, or like now two months ago in Vilnius, that wasn't the case. It was a terrible course for me because it was like I don't know, like um,
0: it was one mile repeat, know, 61,
2: wasn't it? Le- yeah, exactly. 61 laps on, on one street block. So that was like 243 90 degree corners, which is crazy. And I, I never prepared for anything like that. And, uh, and like it was fine, you know, up until, up until 60K or so. And then you start cramping because you're like constantly slowing down and starting again through those mm. 90 degree corners, which are all in the same direction. And I think uh, Sivakian was a bit more uh, prepared for that because I don't know, like he's used to running in circuits. Also, also in 24-hour races and such, but uh, I'd never done anything like that before. But yeah, if, if we're getting like a like a better course, uh, like flat, uh, a bit fewer corners, at least fewer sharp corners, and uh, maybe with a few good paces that can actually keep up until until halfway or something, mm. uh, then I definitely think uh, or I'm, I'm sure I can uh, run on six hours for sure.
0: Brilliant, man. So... I wanna take it I wanna take a bit of a step back and find out a little bit more about you as an individual and where you've come from as a runner and then we can get even deeper into uh, the future comrades' aspirations and even your your actual comrades run on the day. But I wanna start off by saying, Matt, your English is, is absolutely fantastic. You're Dutch, uh, you live in Italy and study in Italy. So I know we've had a couple of interactions in Italian, so your Italian is fluent as well. Um, where did you come from, Pete? I mean, what did, when did you start running? Uh, when did you start specializing in the 100K distance? And how has it progressed over the years? Because I mean, you're still very young.
2: Yeah, it's true. Um, so I don't know, like I, I kind of started track and field when I was like five years old, but you're still kind of you know, doing a bit of everything. And then, you know, like pretty quickly, I think it became clear that like, I don't know, like the technical disciplines, you know, like, uh, like javelin throwing and, uh, I don't know, uh, long jump and high jump, like th- those things were not really my thing. Like I never had any ex- explosiveness in, in my muscles, uh, but like uh, endurance wise, it was it was always, always good. So pretty quickly it became clear that it was definitely like a, like a long distance runner. And then, uh, you know, like when I was 15 years old, I kind of uh, made the decision like, okay, I'm going to take this a bit more seriously. Uh, so that's, uh, when I, uh, when I was allowed to go to like this uh, particular school and where I was, uh, able to kind of combine uh school with sports. So it's uh, kind of middle distance running and we were mostly focusing on like, uh, I don't know, 1500 meters, five kilometers and such. And I kind of kept on doing that like uh, throughout high school, like, uh, I don't know like my uh, last three years of high school and then uh, when I started university I kind of uh, did something else for like a year and then I came back to my old team when I was when I was still doing my bachelor's degree and uh, yeah for a couple of years I kind of kept on doing that but then in the end like I kind of decided you know like um, or I didn't decide but like it became clear to me that like uh, I didn't have exactly the right amount of talent to, to make it over the distances that I, that I was doing at the time. So like uh, 5K and 10K at the time mostly. I just noticed, like compared to, you know, some of the most talented athletes of the country, like I wasn't anywhere near their talent. And I knew like, okay, if I want to do this, if I want to become like a uh, world champion, want to run at the Olympics, then I cannot do it in these distances. So I don't know, like the logical next step would have been probably to, to move up to the marathon. Uh, because we are always knew and like how the longer the distance gets, uh, the better I get at the distance. Uh, but at the same time, like I don't know, like I was, I needed to make like a big change in my life. You know, I was kind of uh, disillusioned, maybe in a way. Uh, so I kind of decided to to start doing ultra. So basically, like uh, the week after I decided that, like uh, because I had done like a steeplechase race, and the, the week after did like a five k, and that was kind of my last uh, regular distance race, I think. Uh, up until uh, the Marathon of Sevilla this year and oh. uh, so the week after I did like a 60k trail which I won uh, like uh, my first try and then um, like a month later I did like something bigger in the in the uh, South German Austrian Alps uh, which was like uh, I don't know 60 something kilometers this, uh, through the is, mountains.
1: this is trail running.
2: Yeah this, this is trail riding, that's, that's kind of where I started. Like f- throughout those first two months uh, that I started doing ultra, but like actually kind of with no preparation, you know, just just you know like uh, continuing from that basis that I that I had built as you know like a regular uh, middle to long distance runner, uh, and like also like uh, the race in Germany, I I managed to win uh, even though I had no mountain preparation, but simply because like the the downhills and like the flats, I was doing so much more efficiently and so much more so much faster than the, than the other guys. And then a month later I decided, okay, like I'm gonna try uh, to do my uh, my first 100K, because in the Netherlands there's like uh, this race uh, in Vinskoten in the north of the Netherlands, which is actually my birth time, and which is also like one of the more well-known uh, 100K races, I, I'd say, and uh, those are also the national championships. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna try that. And then, I don't know, like it was my first 100K, so it wasn't, it was obviously like I had zero experience but I managed to get, like, uh, third, and that's kind of where, where it started, I guess, for me, like, the ulcers on the road. And then after that, I did, did uh, no releases for two years, like, uh, during the pandemic and such. And then uh, two years later, uh, when I was already living in Italy, I kind of was planning to, to focus on trail running, but I was unable to get a medical certificate, which was necessary during the, during the COVID pandemic. So I decided to go uh, to fly back to the Netherlands, and, and do this 1RK race a week after, even though I mostly prepared for, for thrills. And there I ran like uh, 6.49, and got like uh, third internationally, first of uh, in the Netherlands. And with that, I also qualified for the World Championships uh, the year after, which was last year. Uh, and that's kind of where I started realizing, you know, like, okay, I can, can actually reach uh, quite a lot with this, because already, like from that race, it became clear that internationally it was doing pretty well. I think it was mm-hmm. like the 10th uh, fastest time worldwide uh, during that year. Uh, so then like the, the plan became kind of such to just uh, prepare for the World Championships, uh, which was uh, last year. Uh, and uh, that's where I managed to become uh, to, to in third. Uh, but up until that time, like from when I started Ultra until the World Championships uh, about three years later, I did everything self-coached, everything by myself. Sure. And then it was only after the World Championships that, uh, that I kind of <laughs> got in contact with my current coach, uh, who also coaches uh, Alexander Srokin and, uh, and Guillaume Rewel and some other internationally, uh, well, very good international uh, ultra runners. And uh, then we start, kind of started working towards bigger goals, you know. So, I mean, we just uh, done the World Championships, you know, like I knew, like, okay, I'm at this world level. And uh, that's also where the plan for uh, well the 100k world record, but also comrades came from for this year.
0: So, so at those, uh, those 100k championship world championships, where you came third, uh, you ran a 6:18 there. Am I correct?
2: Uh, yeah, 618. Yeah.
0: 618. So that was the first time you went to 100K World Champs after a couple of those 100K races that you've done in the Netherlands. So you realize, wow, on a world stage, I can actually compete. Obviously, you're competing with Alexander Surikin, who is renowned for being the best 100K ultra marathon athlete out there. And I, I know that in this recent 100K attempt that you guys had in Lithuania, obviously, you guys were, were running together for a long period of of time Uh, and then you pulled out uh, when was it in 70 80 k's in i I read somewhere that you were struggling from from a back spasm or something along those lines but uh, would you in hindsight say that that helped you in your preparation for comrades and um, how would you say that that race built the confidence up for comrades
2: well it it, had definitely had uh, mixed effects you know like like i was saying like uh because i was preparing for the 100k world record attempt I was unable to do, uh, like specific hill work for okay. comrades because, you know, like, uh, I just wanted to go for, for the world record there. But at the same time, like, uh, the evening before I did the race, like my coach said to me, like, okay, and like, we're going to go for a world record tomorrow, but like, if it turns out during the race, uh, that it's not going to be possible, then don't try to finish because, uh, comrades is more important okay. than just trying to finish there at all costs. That kind of caused, uh, that during the race in Vilnius, I constantly had doubts, you know, like from the beginning, like, uh, because I knew from the beginning, like, this course is definitely not perfect for me. And that day was, it was quite warm. Uh, like, the paces, like, we had paces for, like, I don't know, until 35 or 40 kilometers into the race, but uh, their pace was not really that flat. Uh, so it was just not, not all perfect, uh, you know, but still at the same time, like, you know, like I felt that day, uh, like, I'm definitely in the best shape of my life. Uh, so what, what am I really going to do with this? Like, am I really disconfident in my ability to break the world record that I'm uh, that I'm going to continue? And yeah, then um, I don't know. Like from like when the last pacemaker pulled out, I kind of uh, took the lead in the race, and then at 70 kilometers or 72 kilometers, uh, I I pulled out of the race, but then I was still in the lead for like like 100 meters or uh, or so ahead of Sirokiyin. Mm. Uh, so it was doing quite well, and uh, like I didn't have back during uh, during race. Actually, like uh, people started speculating about that okay. because they saw, you know, like the recordings. But on camera, you know, everything looks worse. Uh, the only thing I was struggling with were some uh, were some cramps in my uh, in my hamstrings and my calves, you know. But that's normal, you know, at that point uh, during a hundred k. And you know, like what was worsening was the fact that like it just wasn't my course, and you know, like in all those nasty corners, that uh, okay. kind of caused that. I think. And uh, that, that was the only thing that I, that I uh, the only reason that I pulled out. And I, you know, like I lay on my back uh, when I pulled out, but it was m- more like uh, also to have an excuse, you know, like for, for myself to, to pull out. Not, not because I was mentally not strong enough or anything, but like, because I was, like I said, I was not confident enough in my ability to, to get the world record that day. It may or may not have been possible, but if I had uh, finished that race at all costs, then I definitely wouldn't have been able to do at comrades uh, what I did. Okay. Uh, so that they just decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prioritize comrades over this. Uh, but I mean, that was definitely the, the most difficult decision I've ever had to take during a race. Simply because I was having the best race of my life. I I may have been able to get the world record, but at the same time, you know, like I afterwards also knew, you know, like yeah, okay if anything is going to happen at comrades and this is basically what made it possible, you know, like yeah. uh, 72 kilometers at world record pace, it may have been the perfect uh, workout to prepare myself for comrades yeah. uh, to prepare myself for the pace yeah. because the pace was uh, more or less the same or uh, slightly faster at comrades. And just, you know, the beatings that your legs will take uh, during that race. So uh, in that sense, I would say it definitely helped me prepare for for comrades, but at the same time, you know, like, like what I was saying, like it, it did, uh, caused me to miss a lot of uh, specific training for comrades, mm. which mean, meant that in the end, I only had like three hill workouts uh, before comrades. Uh, so that might not have been ideal, but at the same time, you know, like I did well on it. And uh, like from the very first hill workout that I did, you know, like uh, a little over a week after, after this world record attempt uh, in Vilnius, I already that you know, like, okay, I'm definitely doing well at these hills and especially like for these downhills. My body's just made for this, you know, like uh, like my legs are taking it so easily, so well. And I was running so fast, you know, like uh, at the second of those workouts, uh, because like the workouts were kind of, you know, like I, I went up, you know, on this very high hill in, uh, in Turin, mm. like for about like 400, no, like 500 meters, uh, you know, like altitude difference that you go up over like four kilometers over trails. And then I went down on the road. And the roads were... Yes, exactly. Yeah, okay. I mean you know like, because you live here, obviously. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> no, no but like, uh, and then I went down down over the roads, and and that was kind of the most important part of the training, like uh, going fast downhill, because I mean, I knew that like okay in South Africa this is the down course, and uh, yeah, the downhill was yeah. just the, the most difficult thing uh, for the body to take, especially in a, in a long race like this, and like uh, they were like descents of like four point eight kilometers downhill. And then I did like 200 uh, meters more to to like fill a uh, 5k. And then during my second workout, I like the first of those 5ks, I did like in 13, 16 or something. You know, like uh, like it was and I was just feeling so easily even at that pace, and that that be, made me feel like okay, I'm I'm definitely going to be able to do good at Comrades, and I definitely have it in me to 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 win run this time. race, you know. I
0: actually want to encourage yeah. Davy to bring up his Strava and go find you on Strava and actually have a look at some of those those workouts that you were doing in in the build in that month that you're talking about before comrades no, say no more. So, so whilst you do that, I just have a I want to take it back to your 100K training because obviously you said you know when you were training for these 100Ks and the world record attempt, which Sorokin ended up getting but just a couple of seconds But uh, and I think that the fact that you were feeling so strong and that you were leading but also you had your coach on your side telling you, you know, this is not the priority and if you feel like it's going to get in the way of comrades, you know, that's what you need to focus on. Um, what does it take to to race over 100 k's, I mean, how much, how much training are we talking about? Uh, what is sort of the split in your training in terms of your quality work versus your your easier work? And also, I want to find out if you do any strength type work.
2: Okay, I mean it's uh, quite a broad question, but I'll yes, try to uh, yes, yes. answer it as well uh, as I can. Um, so yeah, basically, like after the World Championships last year, I was uh, I was really, really injured. Uh, because actually like uh, two months before the World Championships, I got like a double Achilles injury. Uh, one month before the World Championships, I got uh, a small stress fracture in my calf. And I just kept on running for the, on, on those injuries because I, I knew like I needed those workouts, you know, like to, to be able to, to even have a shot at the, at the podium at the World Championships. So after the World Championships, uh, because of those injuries, like it took uh, quite a long time to recover. So I think it was like from November, December that we kind of uh, started building up, and then, like I said, you know, like halfway through February, like after about two months of build up, uh, I ran in Sevilla, uh, my first ever marathon, and uh, yeah, and that's where I ran, uh, yeah, like two eighteen as part of my build up, which is nice, you know, and like, uh, and then after that, you know, like you, you kind of keep on doing more long workouts. So up up until then, like it was more or less like. Uh, Traditional marathon work, uh, marathon build up, uh, but at the same time, like of course, I'm a student, so I kind of have to kind of combine, you know, like uh, school and sports, uh, or like s- sports and studying. Which uh, not not always is it easy, and it definitely means that I cannot do quite as much as uh, as like uh, uh, professional other professional runners can. Down. You know, like some of my yeah, exactly. Like Suroki, for instance, he does like 300 kilometers uh, in in the week, or, like or at least in many weeks. Uh, and like the South African runners, obviously, uh, like many of them were, were full-timers, all uh, in the preparation before comrades. And I just did, didn't have that same thing. But at the same time, like it kind of made it work for me, you know, like uh, like just being really like strict in that schedule, you know, like when you're going to sleep, uh, when you're doing your runs, you know, like before you go to university, you do your run. Then after you come back for, uh, from university, you can do another run or, or whatever. Uh, yeah. But at the same time, like it wasn't really do- doing that much, I think, compared to the most ultra runners, because it was like, I know. I think on average one hundred ten to one hundred forty kilometers in a week. Uh That's But for hundred k, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it was like especially if you're if you're training for hundred k, like if, if you're doing barely more than hundred k a week, it's that is kind of crazy, I guess. Uh But next year it's definitely going to be more because I uh, know I have more time now. I can uh, and now because also because of this kind of fame that Comrades uh, has brought me, I, I definitely can. Have opportunities at least to to go professional next year, mm. uh, so kind of want to explore that. Uh, but yeah, up until up until th- those races, like fellow uh, news comrades, uh, m- mostly one or one four kilometers a week, and then for the 100k, like uh, I think the most important workouts were like the tempo runs, you know, like 40, 60k, and like some of those workouts were like okay, you do uh, like uh, 10 kilometer intervals, 20 kilometer intervals, uh, but mostly like. Uh, yeah, around world record pace. And uh, like, if, if you're doing like 10, 10 20 kilometer work, uh, uh, intervals, it was like more, mostly 325, 330 per kilometer, I think. Yeah. So a bit faster than uh, than world record pace and then sub six hour pace. And like, also to make that, that pace, that sub six hour pace of uh, 335 per kilometer, just make it feel easy, make it feel natural, you know? Like, I think that mm. that was the most important thing for sure. Uh, I mean, quality workouts and, uh, yeah, I
1: mean, it's it's actually mind-blowing because that was one of the questions that I put you as is, is, I mean, just I, I can't wrap my head around how you manage being, you know, a student, a, a non-sponsored athlete, you're 25 years old and then you're still going and, and getting these results, which is, I don't think, you know, a lot of us are able to comprehend it. I just think that just shows the amount of raw talent that you have. But I've been looking at Strava. <laughs> Do you log all your runs on your Strava? On Strava?
2: No, no. But I actually have a caption in my profile, like uh, like Strava is not law. Don't take everything literally because mm. I don't like I don't upload all of my workouts. So definitely don't don't look at the at the weekly totals. But like like I said, like uh, I think it was on average yeah. like 40. Yeah, but but, uh, but, but and I mean, some, sometimes it, the GPS is off as well. So
1: yeah, I, and then I see I see you also did a lot of. Um, Sort of what, Supega looked look like, um, looked a bit traily. Is it, Is it trail or no. is it road? Okay, so I mean.
2: Uh, well, both basically, like I, I went uphill over the trails and then downhill over the roads to, to get like the, the real pounding and to make speed over those downhills. That was the most important part to work out and, uh, and then uphill over the trails because it's, I know it's faster, it's, uh, it's more efficient
0: but I think it also just goes to show like how what you're saying you sort of found your niche because you started to realize man I don't have the place to compete at a 5 a 10k uh, even even your marathon you know you ran 218 in your first marathon which is absolutely incredible <laughs> and you did that as part of a training uh, towards your 100k but I mean to go and compete with the guys that are running 209 208 205 that, that's a big jump in, in, in that level as yeah. well uh, but I mean you're competing uh, uh, at comrades with guys that are you know into the 210s I mean Joe Fukuda is a 209 marathoner into the low 210s it just goes to show how how much uncapped potential uh, is there but I wonder also how much of that is having found the right balance of not overtraining and I'm actually very interested to see how how your training changes now that you will have more time and you're able to to spend more time running. I wonder what that is actually going to do to your running. Do you, do you wonder that as well? Do you sometimes think that perhaps you found the right formula, or do you just do you also think that I need to do more running?
2: No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, there's a lot of untapped potential there, and uh, I kind of noticed that like every single year. You know, like uh, like I said in 2019, I did my first hundred k which obviously I was—I had zero experience. And the year after, it just kind of start, you know, like that, that was the first year that I kind of started coaching myself that, uh, that I was training for ultra. So I kind of just wanted to experiment with my body, you know? And then uh, like halfway through t- 2020, I also moved to Italy where I live now. And then I could, from that moment, I could kind of train in the mountains, you know? So that's mm. when I kind of made this plan, you know, like, okay, I'm going to uh, prepare for the trails and such. But still at the time, like there was, no consistency in my training whatsoever, you know? Like I, was, like I said, it was mostly about experimenting with my body. And that's kind of the way that I got to that uh, 649, uh, 100K yeah. that eventually allowed me to to qualify for, for the World Championship the next year. And, and that was the year that I kind of started training more consistently, for sure. But still, uh, li- like I said, also still self-coached, still doing everything by myself, and still like totally different from what I'm doing uh, this year. And then, uh, so, so then after the World Championships, I kind of started training with a coach to get like uh, weekly schedules, you know, but I think, so I definitely became more consistent in my training, but mostly also I started like, getting more variety in my training, I think. Like before the World Championships, it was mostly either easy runs or like uh, long runs at like, uh, I don't know, like race pace kind of, you know, which is like 3.30 something, 3.40, whatever. Uh, but now th- this year, I don't know we also started doing, you know, like uh, th- thousand meter uh, intervals, like 5k intervals, you know, like a uh, box of 10k, box of 20k. So, so a bit more variety and, and definitely more consistency. And that also made me decide, you know, like, okay, uh, I might as well try and do the Sevilla marathon, even though it's like, it's definitely not a main goal for my season. But like the training that I'm doing right now is not that different from like what uh, marathon runners are like specialized marathon runners are doing. So might as well try, you know, like uh, because I was finally doing speed work again, like after so many years, mm. and all of a sudden you notice, you know, like that there apparently there's so much on untapped potential, you know, like I was basically running uh, PBs over 10k during my as part of my marathon, you know, like uh, because I, I don't know, like ever since starting ultra, i never run anything below ultra distances anymore um so i really didn't know what i, what I was capable of and uh, and we really this next this last year uh with my with my new coach uh, sebastian uh, biopjeski i really started noticing that there, there was a lot there okay. for sure and obviously i already knew that you know like uh, after the world championships simply because my my preparation for the world championships was was so different from what i had, had wanted to do because i couldn't most most weeks, I wasn't doing more than 100K a week because I was so injured, you know? And also, like, my training was, there was no, no variety. There was little consistency. Uh, so I knew just there was so much more that I could do. And now, after Comrades, after, yeah, running, like I said, 345 per kilometer, like, it just shows me, like, okay, I can run 100K on the six hours. But also over the marathon, like you're saying, like, it, it can go a lot faster there. And if many of these guys that have beaten uh, can run like around uh, two ten marathon, and many of them even under two ten, like 209, 208, yeah. then yeah, may- maybe that's that's possible for me as well, you know. And that's that's kind of what, what I would like to explore as well with next year if if I have uh, more time to train, if I can train uh, more full time, if, if I have like a like a sponsor, you know, like a salary that you yeah. uh, kind of have the stability yeah. also to do those things. Uh, but at the same time, also what you're suggesting is, like, obviously there's always the risk of overtraining. And uh, so it's it's not like all of a sudden I'm going to do 200 kilometers a week. No, I'm just going to build it up until there, you know? Like, uh, sure. I think the idea for now, uh, like, uh, on the short term is, like, to do, like, 160, 180 a week and then see where it goes from there, you know? Like, how does how does it feel on the body? Like, how does it, that affect the quality workouts in the week, you know? Like, I, I believe that, like, uh, they're, like like two or three quality workouts a week that like you really want to be like 100% or near 100%. And like, I believe that increasing your uh, weekly training load, it can definitely, it will definitely make you better, but only under the condition that your quality workouts are still, um, you can still deliver as much quality as you previously could with those uh, lower uh, weekly uh, Many kilometers, you know, uh, and uh, mm-hmm. amounts of training that you're doing. Yeah, I think and I think that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think you've had such an exceptional journey. I actually want to almost ask, like. Because you know, as South Africans in South Africa, most people end up running their first marathon as part of their training for comrades. And inadvertently you ended up doing the same as well, <laughs> yeah. which makes makes it perfect because you, you were a novice this year. You were the fastest novice at comrades, and you did the exact same things that most novices do in the build up to comrades, which is it, it's quite exceptional to think how you how you progress so fast. And I think there, there's so much potential there. I, I really can't way to see what we can do but and before we get to that i want to chat about this year's comrades you know how uh, how you got to that race and how the race actually went i want to talk about that month leading up to the race and then your preparations uh, when you did come to south africa
2: okay so um yeah l- like i was saying like uh, i just uh, done this uh record tent in uh, in news. and like because they cut it off at, at 72 kilometers like uh, i was Obviously able to recover from that pretty quickly. I think it took me like three days maybe maybe to recover completely. And then the next uh, the rest of the week I kind of uh, I don't know, it took it took it a bit easy obviously, but uh <clears throat> I was mostly from I think the the Monday like directly after the, that week that I did my first uh specific hill workout. I would do that on this very large hill, uh in Turin, like uh, to the basilica the di uh, Superga. And uh, that's like a climb of, of uh, 500 meters uh, of altitude difference, kind of over, over four kilometers over the trails. And then downhill, it was like uh, 4.8 kilometers over, over the road. And then I did like an additional uh, two, 200 meters to, to make it like a kind of 5K interval, you know? So, so I would run up uh, over those trails. And then directly after, after, you know, reaching the peak, like without having any rest, I would do like the descent uh and that was the most important part of the workout because that was like the kind of specific training that i needed for uh the downhill course Mm -hmm. or or the down course uh in in south africa and uh, yeah that that would go pretty fast so it was like um mostly like 14 something over 5k and and like during my second workout i did like 13 16 and uh and during the first one like 13 i don't know 40 or 50 or something pretty consistent so, so, so Yes, and, uh, and they were pretty fast, and that was, you know, like, directly after the climb, so you're already not having any any rest before that, and obviously, that's, that's like, a kind of pace that is, uh, I mean, that it was so much faster than what I would have thought that, that I would be able to do, and obviously, it was downhill, but at the same time, you know, like, the legs were, were taking it really easily, and uh, I just noticed, you know, like, like, I know I've always had, like, relatively big upper legs, and I think that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, Proved so to me, helps. like, without, even without all that specific training, which, which obviously I lacked because I was uh, preparing for the, for the 100k flat, uh, still, like, it was, uh, was just so natural for my body, you know, like, and also, like, technically it felt easy, like, you know, like you can just keep rolling, uh, keep on doing it kind of, uh, keeping the body relaxed, you know, but was still stable and, uh, and then, you know, able to run like 240, 250 per kilometer, uh, downhill. So. Um, at ease, which is uh, which, definitely felt good. But at the same time, you know, like it's a, it's a quite risky workout uh, because obviously, like you're risking, I don't know, like it, it's over so Obviously, you need to to watch out for cards But I think the main thing was basically like the injury risk of those workouts. Mm-hmm. Like you can easily tear a muscle, you can easily tear a tendon or yeah. whatever, or you know, roll an ankle, and then you know, it's, it's like end of the story. But because I had so little time to specifically prepare for comrades. It was kind of worth the risk, I think. And uh, and I kind of noticed that like doing that three times uh, in a workout was kind of the maximum, you know, like uh, after that, you know, like I really felt like, okay, the injury risk of doing another one uh, just becomes uh, too big. So kind of the, risk, uh, the risk-reward ratio kind of became, uh, well, too large, let's yeah, say. Too high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I but, mean, uh,
0: so, so then, okay. you know, and, and that month is also when you then made contact with, with Nick Bester and Ned Bank Running Club and sort of organized your, your way down to South Africa, correct? And when you came down to South Africa, how many weeks or days prior to Comrades were you in South Africa for? Uh,
2: I think about five days or so. Yeah, because we spent like, I don't know, like I think two two nights in the hotel in Durban and two nights in the hotel in Peter with the team. And then afterwards, it was still there for uh, for like another night after the race. Well,
1: sorry, what what made you um uh, reach out to you know Nick Bester and uh, Nidbank Running Club?
2: Yeah, so so I kind of um, already reached out to them like early in the year, like after uh, um, after I'd already registered for Comrades, as I think, but uh, like around March or April. So, uh, and it just knew, you know, like uh, to, to be able to even have a chance for the podium or top 10, you know, like in this huge international race, like obviously you need a support team, you know, like to make it an equal playing field. And, um, and that was the most important thing for me. Uh, and I, I knew that, uh, you know, NetBank was kind of, you know, like the, the most successful team uh, for comrades. So I figured like I might as well uh, make contact with them. So I contacted Nick, I kind of told him about my plan, you know, like, okay, uh, this 100K in Vilnius, and then uh, and he was instantly like, okay, yeah, but you cannot do 100K, like, one month before Comrade and expect to to run a good Comrade, you know? Like, you know, but still, you know, like, yeah, but but I'm young, you know? Like, it doesn't take me a month to recover from 100K. It takes me a week, maybe. Sure. So uh, I think you're wrong, you know? But, uh, like, at the same time, you know, like, you know, I, I definitely respected his opinion, but I also told him, you know, like, yeah, I, I had a certain level of confidence, obviously, based on what I had done before, uh, based on how I had recovered from races before. And that's, that's how I f- felt like, at the same, uh, like both that I was able to run podium there, uh, but also to do both races. But then obviously, like when I got to Vilnius, uh, it really became clear to me that like mm. that probably wasn't realistic simply because of, uh, yeah, also because of the lack of specialized training that I had at the time. And if I had uh, like finished another K there, I wouldn't have been able to do any specialized training. Uh, so I, I guess Nick in the end was definitely right uh, in that sense.
1: Yes.
0: So you had the confidence going in. Is it true that you told Nick that you wanted to go there to win comrades? And what was his response to that?
2: Uh, yes, uh, like not, not word for word, but uh, that was pretty much what I said. Yeah, uh, Also because uh, yeah, I think in the first email that I sent him, I kind of, uh, obviously, I t- told them about my achievements, you know, like uh, to, to be allowed into the NetBank team in the first place, you know, like I told them about the World Championships, I told them about uh, my marathon, you know, and also, but also the fact that I knew that I could go much faster than that. And uh, and also that, like I was telling you before, that I had a lot of unset potential. So yeah, that, that's basically what I said, like uh, like I, I, the goal is to go for podium and maybe even for the win, I think I, I put it like that. And yeah, I, I don't know, like it, it was also important in, in another in another sense because uh, the only reason, the, the only way NetBank was going to cover, you know, like my flight costs and my hotel costs was if I got top five in the first place, I think. So, uh, so- there was always that financial pressure, and which was especially important, obviously, for me as a student. And then, uh, but yeah.
1: So, so I mean, I mean, joining a you know a club like Ned Bank Running Club in South Africa, which has got obviously Tete in it, and I mean a lot TB. of a lot of talented runners, and, and then you you were sort of joining the team as you know someone who was you know very much unknown, um, especially in South Africa. Uh, w- did you, did you get a sense of, you know, being welcomed as being a team member, you know, when you, when you gotcha or, or, cause obviously you needed that support, you know, you know, from Naded Bank Running Club or, or, did you sort of, you know, um, were you maybe, um, seen as somebody who was, you know, still a rookie and, and very much underrated? Um,
2: yeah. Well, I, I was definitely welcomed by Nick uh, from 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 the start. I would say, like despite what he said, you know, like he obviously didn't agree with my plan with uh, doing a hundred k the month before comrades. But at the same time, he was excited to to welcome me to the team. Also, you know, based on what I had done uh, at the World Championships and such. And but yeah, I, I I did notice obviously that nobody in that bank expected me to to come anywhere uh, near the podium, including Nick himself. Like uh, I don't know, like uh, obviously. He never said that, you know, but you can notice, you know, like that obviously nobody expected that from me. And I think then in the race, like it also became a problem at some point because, uh, I don't know, everybody knows the moment in the race where I kind of missed my supporting bottles at 70K. And then, you know, like five kilometers later, uh, it kind of happened again, which was supposed to be, you know, like our supporting bottles from, from 80K, uh, which, uh, which for some reason they were given to us at 75 and I missed them as well. And that was kind of due to the fact that the sporting team probably also didn't know my taste. And, uh, yeah, they just didn't prepare my bottles. And was import- it was impossible for me to get my bottles, you know, like... Uh, but, uh, so, so and so, that was kind of...
1: Uh, uh, something like that, you know, I mean nutrition as we've all learned is is so important on race day especially when you're getting you know that far into the race so did that did that throw you off at all i mean obviously not because you you came you came second you had an amazing run but i mean mentally and then obviously you know you know physically i mean how, how did that affect you i don't
2: know like um obviously it was it was especially physically it was far from perfect because uh, we were supposed to get eight supporting bottles in the race. And in the end, I got like three, like, uh, I missed the first two. I missed the first two. And that was definitely my own fault because like the bottles, they were on the tables, but I just missed the tables, you know, like those, those were the bottles from 30 and 39 K. Uh, and then, uh, at no, hold up. No, from 20 and 30 K. Sorry. Those two I missed. Then from 39 K, I got like my first, first supporting bottle and the second one at uh, 48, and the third one at 60. Uh, but I had like, I, I had prepared beforehand, you know, like there, there was a lot of uh, carbs in, in those bottles, like I was using Morton. And I also had like like a gel uh, attached to the bottles. So, so every time I did get my bottle, you know, I made sure to, to use all of it. So um, some of those bottles, I, I carried for like five kilometers, I think, into the race, just to be able to get all of it. But at the same time, obviously not to get nauseated uh, from all the carbs that you're taking and at the pace that you're, that you're running yeah. at, uh, at the time. Uh, so, and that was definitely essential for me to even be able to finish the race that I got like everything out of those bottles. But yeah, I didn't expect obviously to, to miss that many. And yeah, ob- obviously I was already freaking out, uh, kind of after missing my second bottle at 30 K because at that point I was really afraid that I was going to bunk. And, uh, and for, for like a few kilometers, I was actually, I actually felt that I was close to bunking, you know? So I just made sure to, to like constantly keep drinking, you know, like those isotonic drinks from the race itself. Obviously they don't contain that many carbs. There's still something, you know, like and it kind yeah. of, can, could kind of keep me going. <laughs> and then uh, when I finally got my first bottle at 39K, I was like, okay, I instantly took like my gel and I instantly, you know, drank like big part of the, of the bottle, you know, and the rest I carried with me and like, uh, Drank it at a bit of an easier pace, but that that was obviously like it was already quite a lot of carbs. Um, but I mean, and that kind of saved me at the time.
0: So, but like running at the front with with the Nedbank Running Team, and pretty much yeah. it was a Nedbank Running Team running pack at the front of like six or seven runners all leading the race. At a stage, you guys were chasing down Joe, was also a Nedbank runner, and then you guys took the lead and overtook. Um, I mean did you guys work together along the route or were, were say, Tete and Motibi a little bit more uh, in their own race at a time, obviously not knowing you, not having trained with you in the past?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, like, like you're saying, we were only that small group uh, after 60K because that that's where the guys kind of made their move, you know, like all of a sudden they started uh, speeding up to like three minutes per kilometer. It was crazy, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, when you were like, okay, they're, they're just trying to make like this, kind of this... Uh, this psychological hit on on the other people, you know, like just to lose part of the group to break it down. And it was really, really effective because all of a sudden we ended up with like a group of five and I, and I managed to hang on. And obviously it was really uncomfortable for me, uh, because it pays, I mean, it was crazy, but at the same time I knew like, they're not going to keep this up until the end of the race because it's impossible. It's physically impossible. Um, so yeah, I kind of took that. Well, I think, uh, that's the thing i think i think that was the same thing um with the bottles you know like the, when i missed the bottles i didn't make too much of it simply because of this kind of stoic mindset you know like you, you cannot change it so you just uh, sh- just on. do what, with with what you have you know yeah i don't know but but that was definitely that, that was definitely you know like part of the key for uh, for what i managed to do and also like at the same time to to remain flexible enough you know like Obviously, not everything is going to go as planned, and definitely not if you're running comrades as an novice, because you don't know what to expect of, those, of that race. And I just made sure to make as much of, of like the regular supporting posts, like the, like I said, the isotonic drinks mm. and the water, uh, as I could. And that was kind of enough to, to get me to the finish and to get me to the finish at the high enough pace. But at the same time, you know, like uh, like if I would have had those two bottles, I definitely think it could have made a difference for sure. And that's kind of. Yeah, a hard realization, obviously, if you, if you lose the race at, at two seconds. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it means that, that there's a lot to win next year. And to, to come back to the other question, like, what are we working as a team? Um, well, from, from one, I guess, like we had like the same supporting team, obviously they had as, a jo- as their job, you know, to get, get the bottles to us, which they did really well, except for, you know, like th- those two posts at 70, 75K. And that was, was, like I said, because they didn't really know my face. But at the same time, you you did realize that uh, Tete, Edward, uh, Joseph, and some of the other guys, they were really like this team within a team, you know? Like they were talking Tswana, like their own language, which obviously I didn't speak. Uh, And also before the race, they had never really um, included me in their strategic talks because nobody expected me to be in the front, you know, at that part of the race. So, obviously, they, they wouldn't do that. So, so yeah, we, we didn't really work together in that sense, like uh, like strategically. And also, like, uh, yeah, like the, the moment, you know, like when, when we were doing the downhill and it was like uh, kind of made this move to, to speed up on, on, yes. the, on these uh, descents, like to 65K time. or so. Exactly, yeah. Uh, some people after the race they criticized me upon that. They said, like, okay, like you broke team strategy. But, like, I was like, yeah, <laughs> but nobody included me in any, any strategic talks. So I, I can do whatever the fuck I want, or, <laughs> sorry, I can, yeah. do, I can do whatever I want, you know? And uh, and obviously, like, I just knew, you know, like, these descents uh, are my talent, you know? So I, so I need to build upon that. Yeah. And and that was the only thing I was doing. And I thought I was just going to stone at this time, and I just wanted to go for the course record. And then when Teth caught up to me, that was the part of the race that we started talking. And obviously, you know, like, many people also speculated about what we were saying there. And I also watched the recording after the race and it kind of looked like we were arguing, but we were not. It was basically just that he came to me and he kind of joked to me, you know, like, okay, so you're trying to get away from us? And I said, like, no, but the pace is just too slow, you know? And Tete was like, okay, so you want to go for the course record? And said, yeah, let's go for the course record. And then we, that's just when we decided, you know, to, to do that. Uh, yeah. And so, I mean, there's definitely a chance that, uh, that, you know, without that move there, uh, none of us would have gotten the course record. Or maybe they would have gotten the course record, you know, like at a few seconds and not at like, I don't know, three minutes or yeah. four minutes uh, like, like we did. I'm so, ha- I mean, yeah.
0: I'm happy to hear that because, you know, comrades also comes with its own level of camaraderie. And obviously like from, from watching on the side, watching on the TV, you know, the guys not wanting to share their bottles and in what you're talking about in terms of uh, what looked like an argument, which I'm glad to hear that, you know, at that stage, just sort of realized, okay, well, this unknown Dutchman is here to stay. We better start including him in our plans so that we can actually get to that. Um, but obviously then next year, the guys will know you. Yeah, they, They'll know you. <laughs> so they'll want to include they're you gonna, into they're their gonna plan. Fear you. You're going to be a part of that team. That surely increases your chances going forward of performing uh, at Comrades, whether it's an up or a down.
2: No, that's that's exactly how I felt after the race uh, myself, you know, like, uh, also, I know, uh, after the race, uh, Ted addressed that moment in the race several times, you know, like, people asked him, like, what what were you talking about? And he also said, you know, like, the same thing, this is what we said during the race, but also before that, he, he already started talking to Edward, you know, like, he he was saying like okay this guy is strong you know like we need to make we need to make a plan for him and uh and that's when he and like at the time you know like edward couldn't keep up you know on, on those downhills yeah. or at least he wasn't fresh enough to to do what i did or what tete did and tete caught up with me so we discussed that you know And that was kind of the only time in the race that we that we actually talked you know like uh, like me and him apart from you know like several kilometers later me asking them to, to share their bottles which they didn't um yeah, I mean, that that was, you know, like, that, that was kind of a disappointment for me, obviously, because I, I missed my bottles, uh, not due to my own fault. But at the same time, you know, like, it was understandable because after the race, like, we all got doping tested, like, instantly. And you need to know, like, what's in your bottles, you know, like, all the supplements that you've taken, like, a week before the race, you need to uh, tell them everything. And obviously, I didn't know, you know, like, what was in this, in their bottles, and they did know it from from each other. So that was kind of... I know part of the reason that they didn't share uh, with me, which I, which I understand, you know, as a, as a professional, but at the same time, you know, like, yeah, would have definitely uh, helped. helped me. <laughs> to, yeah, for sure. Well, well, well but, honestly, uh, the,
0: just the last thing I want to ask about comrades before we get closer to wrapping this up is obviously coming into that stadium. Um, you must have known you you were close. I know, I know, and I've read that, you know, if if the course was longer, you would have only started your kick later. So it wouldn't have made a difference. But you you obviously knew that Tete was just around the corner. And when you came around the corner and saw him there and he looked over and saw you and started sprinting, um, what was your the initial thought when you first saw him? Did you think you could catch him?
2: No, I, I, I guess at the time I thought it was too late, but you know, like I still thought, okay, there's this tiny chance, you know, and like even if it's like like one percent chance, you know, like I need to give everything, you know, otherwise I'll I'll never be able to forgive myself for for losing that, and I already almost didn't forgive myself for losing uh, losing that after the race because I felt like shit for the first two hours after simply because I had lost I don't know like uh, probably sixty thousand euros. Yeah, uh, based on the fact that that I came like two seconds later than Tete, which is yeah, which is crazy to think about, especially for someone with with my background as a student, you know, like
0: and unsponsored. Uh, I but, think it's important uh, to mention again. Just you came two comrades as a non-professional, unsponsored athlete. Is that correct? True.
2: Yes. Wow. And uh, no, no, that that definitely played a role, you know. And definitely played also played a role, you know, like in the in the amount of pressure that there was in this race. Uh, but for me, that the pressure is definitely positive. Like I run better if there's a, there's a lot of pressure. And Obviously, for me, like I like I said, I had made certain investments into coming to South Africa in the first place, which obviously, like as a student, they are big investments. You know, like the flight and the hotels or whatever. And I already had to run top five to to even get that back in the first place. And then obviously there was the incentive of you know like the the prizes for for the podium and the incentive from. From that bank, which you get on top of that, and uh, yeah that was definitely important for me, and l- like you're saying, like I was definitely catching up uh, to over the last i don't know less than ten kilometers, I think at some point we were like six hundred eight hundred meters apart, I think at the at the furthest, and then I just started catching up to him and also after the race, like if you see our paces like he was at some point he was averaging three fifty something, and I was yeah. averaging a few 35 you know so i was definitely getting closer so you know maybe if it was two kilometers longer or three kilometers longer i could have gotten him uh but like i don't know like i, I said like i don't think a couple hundred meters extra w- would have made a difference simply because then yeah i would have started sprinting later and also like tete was constantly looking over his shoulder you know and uh, and that's also why i didn't know like when i came into the stadium obviously you couldn't see him and then all of a sudden, you, like, you, you come around the corner, and he's in your field of vision, and that's when he starts yeah. sprinting, you know? And then Tatum yeah. looks back, and he sees me, and he starts sprinting as well, so he, so he wins. Uh, but I definitely felt that I was, uh, that I was uh, fresher at that part of the race than he was. And also, to come back to the other thing, like, um, like about you know, the teamwork and also what we're going to do uh, next year, I think after the race, was, you know, the, then I really you know, uh, had this feeling that I kind of had gained their respect, you know, yeah. at the end of Edward and, yeah. and the other guys in the team. So, and that's why I think that, like you're saying, next year will probably be different uh, because uh, because we will be more of a team and we definitely got to, got to know each other better uh, after the race. And, uh, you know, like also when we had, you know, like beers uh, the evening after the race, you know, like and we talked about everything. And also that w- that was why I wasn't particularly angry about the fact that they, that they didn't share their bottles with me. Like I understood, you know, like I was also, you know, like part of the fact, I guess, that I kind of had to gain a respect in a way, which is kind of, you know, like a romantic idea almost, you know, like... and <laughs> It's
0: part I of being know, a like, novice. <laughs> you,
1: you, you exactly. Are- and uh, that's also why... I-
2: no, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm- no. I was just saying, like, like that's that's why there's just so much to gain still next year. And, yeah. Um, I think yeah. that if I had won, uh, this year, then I wouldn't have been as hungry for next year as I am now.
1: No, I was just about to say that. I mean, your story is so incredible. Um, you've you've once again got me excited for comrades, and it's uh, it's next year June. So now <laughs> I'm sitting here with a with a with a itch. But but your story really is just uh, I. It's unbelievable. I think you are you're gonna achieve so many great things. You know, going from here, you're only 25 years old, and I really can't wait to see you back here next year. I, I just wanted to ask. For any of our listeners, you know, that are passionate runners looking at getting into ultra distance, um, ultra marathons, what would your advice to them be?
2: Well, probably not to do the same things that I did because, uh, I don't know, like it was a bit crazy, obviously. You know, like I moved up from from like a 5K race to a 60K race in a week, uh, which is crazy. Like I would definitely advise, you know, like more of a build up. I would definitely advise uh, consistency, which obviously I also didn't do from the first years. And then what I did, you know, for, World Championships, like, uh, like when I was injured, that I was, that I pushed through that, you know, like for many people that, that could have been like an injury that would have lasted the rest of their lives, you know, like if I would have torn my case tendon there, which is definitely a possibility, you know, like d- when I was doing my World Championships race, I definitely had this feeling, you know, like these Achilles tendons, they're going to tear any moment, you know, like, so I don't know, don't do that. I suppose, <laughs> you know, like, uh, because, no, don't uh be like Pete. but for me, no, no, but for me, it was like, those world championships it was almost life or death you know like uh, it was I, I needed to win or at least to get podium they're so bad you know because I, know, I knew that like okay this is you know a key moment in my running career if I'm going to do well here I can build on that which I did last year but if I was if I, I would have filled there then that might have meant you know like the end of uh, all of this and for Comas, it was like kind of similar in, in, a, in a way I guess also after you know like not getting the world record the, the year before like if I would have gotten nothing there then, then it might have well been you know like, okay, um, well maybe maybe this is it, you know, like maybe I'm gonna just focus on my academic career and such and uh, and uh, just do a bit of running, but probably not not as much uh, as I would need to to build upon that, you know like to build up upon what I've done this year, and now I actually have the opportunity you know like like I said to to train more to maybe to professional. And, uh, and to do just much better next year, maybe to go on, on out to camp, you know, like the, 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 months before the race and like, <laughs> I have no idea how much, but uh, I could do like with a camp like that because I've never done it in my life or, or like with, uh, steadily making 160, 180 kilometer weeks or, uh, building upon like a, I don't know, like a two something, uh, 10 to 12 marathon or whatever. And I think that's definitely in the cards
0: wow man i just yeah from my side i just want to say you are a true inspiration and I think you know next year you're not going to be the unknown Dutchman you're going to be the flying Dutchman the feared uh, Dutchman <laughs> the feared Dutchman by all the other competitors and we can't wait to have you back on our soil racing the
1: race we're going to we're we're have to touch sides next year during your, yeah. your training and just see how things are going I'm going to start placing some bets <laughs> some bets <laughs> now <laughs> Early. but
0: uh, Pete I just want to say thank you for taking the time uh, to chat to us on making a runner today I think our listeners are going to find this extremely insane insightful and yeah man keep on doing exactly what you're doing we're so happy to hear that you know your career is only taking off and comrades was that sort of uh what one of those things that allowed you to to make that step forward and look at potentially becoming professional and 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 really taking that step up
1: and yeah i just want to say thank you for taking the time and we look forward to seeing you progress can can our can our listeners follow you on instagram or social media i can't see any Anything here I just yet on Strava, okay. yes? Social media. Uh, but on Instagram. Give yourself a shout out.
2: Yeah, well, if you're going to follow me on social media, then uh, probably don't start with Strava. I mean, like, <laughs> I, I definitely intend to, you know, like upload more consistently next year, uh, but still, it's not my main thing right now. Uh, yeah, I have an ins- Instagram channel, uh, which I try to update more consistently. I just uh, created a Facebook page like a few weeks ago, which already has. Well, which already got quite a, few, quite a lot of attention during the first weeks because I kind of am using that as a, uh, as a running blog. So, I, in the first article, I talked about my experiences uh, leading up to Comrades, you know, like the stories that I told about, uh, you know, the Hill workouts and such. And the second one, I kind of talked about, um, was it, oh, yeah, about the, the World Championships race, you know, and like how, how that became part of, uh, part of my preparation. Or it's not the world championships or the the world record yeah. race. Yeah, and I kind I, of yeah I update, I update uh, those blogs uh, blog articles like um, every couple of weeks. Uh, so there's that. I found your yeah, Instagram profile. Right now.
1: It's uh, at uh, Pete. It's basically your name one word Pete, and then W I E R S M A. I can't pronounce that. Uh, how do you How do you pronounce your name? treat uh, him like he's Afrikaans
0: <laughs> Davey. that's the same thing <laughs> exactly <laughs> all right Pete,
2: well, Pete, thank, thank you so you, much
0: eh? it's been uh, it's been really yeah. insightful and we we wish you all the best with your training for your next marathon and we look forward to seeing where you go from here
2: yeah thanks for the invitation and love fun uh, so and I'm definitely looking forward to to next year to running again at comrades but also maybe to talking to you in, the, <laughs> in the preparation.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies.
1: Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.